great danger in those who, who would base their salvation, would base their hope of going to heaven in, in, on, a, on an extremely externally oriented, works-based kind of salvation. Luke gives us a great definition of these kinds of people later on in his gospel in chapter 18 and verse 9 where he talks about hypocrites and this is what he says about them in Luke 18 verse 9. They're those who trust in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. Let me, let me read to you that verse again. Luke chapter 18, 9. He's talking about Pharisees, and he says, they were those who trust in themselves that they were righteous. They put all their confidence in themselves that they were righteous. Stop and think about it. There's two types of people in this room this morning. Those who are trusting in the righteousness of Christ alone and those who are trusting in their own self-effort. There's only two kinds of people in the world. There's those who have humbled themselves and they, they, they acknowledge, they admit that they can't earn God's grace. And then there are those who are still trying to earn God's grace. Those who are religiously hypocrites, though, they meet the second description that Luke talks about. They, they trust in themselves for their righteousness and they treat others with contempt. They treat others with contempt. And, and what I have found to be true in my own life when I start to view my own self-righteousness, one of the best ways for me to feel even more self-righteous is to find somebody around me who isn't as righteous as I think I am and treat them contemptfully. Anybody else guilty of doing that? Just find people who aren't as good as I am and look down my long pointy nose at them and like judge them harshly. In our text this morning, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is going to challenge this false religion of external works and self-righteousness, and he's going to do it directly. Jesus is actually going to do something that, that you and I, if we were there, we would have gone like, whoa, he did not just do that. And we've been sitting right there in the room, we'd have been like, tell me he didn't just do that. In today's video age, where everybody has a cell phone, could you imagine that room? They'd all been like, when he does this. And I'll explain the significance of, of what he's doing here in Luke chapter 11. But, but to do this, to do this, I, I want to warn you this morning. This is, this is a vital subject we need to talk about. Because, and, I, and I don't use this word lightly. But if you're trusting in your self-effort to get you into heaven, you are damning your soul to hell. Let me say that again. If you are trusting in your good works and your self-effort to get you into heaven, you are damning your soul to hell. And that's exactly what these men that Jesus is going to confront were doing. There's two groups of men in our text. Before I read the text, I want to tell you about these two groups of men so that when we read it, you understand it. There, there's Pharisees and their lawyers. Pharisee, the word literally meant separate ones. That's how they viewed, they were self-labeled. They called themselves this. We're the separate ones. It's like, we have our exclusive club here. We're better than you. We're different than you. We're separate from you. They, they were thought to be holy men. And all of society treated them like they were holy men. In fact, to become a Pharisee, you had to go through a one-year probationary period where you could prove to the other Pharisees that you were holy enough to become a Pharisee. That sounds like the kind of club I want to join, right? Sign me up. I want to be a Pharisee. 
You have to go through a one-year probationary period where, where the other Pharisees could evaluate your life. They could, they could interject themselves at any time and just evaluate and make judgments based on how you appeared externally. And if you were found to be in fault, you're kicked out. No chance of ever coming back. That's the Pharisees. The other group is the lawyers, or you'll sometimes see them referred to in the scriptures as scribes. They were usually, but not always, Pharisees. Usually they were Pharisees. They were the experts in the law. Literally, and I love this description that I got this week in my study. They literally loved the law so much. They loved Moses' law so much that they built a hedge around that law with their man-made laws. And this is how they built the hedge around it. If, if Moses' law said you shouldn't work on the Sabbath day, which isn't that one of the Ten Commandments, keep the Sabbath, you remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, you know, you know you're supposed to rest on the Sabbath day. They, they hedged in that law, and they made laws about how many steps you were allowed to walk on the Sabbath day, uh, whether you were allowed to use your strong arm to lift things or not on the Sabbath day, whether you're now allowed to take care of your animals on the Sabbath day, how many, how many feet you were allowed to go away from your home on the Sabbath day. Um, Pastor Andy and, and Kaylee can tell you about in LA they had tenants who were Jews and on their Sabbath literally whenever, whenever they needed to run their garbage disposal or something like that they had to come down and knock on Pastor Andy's door so that he would come up and flip the light switch for them. Boy, that's appealing, isn't it? That's what these kind of people were like. And so they had these countless extra regulations that they added to the law, and, and, and they took their additions to the law, and, and they basically said this, okay, okay, here's God's law here, and here's our rules right here, okay? Before, before we throw stones at them, let's remember a couple things when it comes to scribes and when it comes to Pharisees. Nobody can keep the law, right? Anybody in here, can you all keep the law? I can't do it. I can't keep the law. They couldn't keep the law either. Jesus kept the law, and he kept it perfectly. perfectly. And quite honestly, you're going to see in this text this morning that Jesus had no use for the addition to the law that they had added to the law. In fact, he's going to challenge it. So with that buildup, let's turn our attention to the Word of God this morning. I'm going to begin reading in Luke chapter 11 and verse 37. Take a copy of God's word. Read it for yourself. I don't care if it's paper or electronic, whatever, but I want you to see it for yourself. Luke chapter 11 this morning, verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, so Luke is tying this into where Aaron left off last week and, and, the, and talking about signs and, and how, the, how a man is condemned by, by just what comes in through his eyes. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you fools. Okay? You and I use that word a lot, and we don't think about that. that that's strong language from Jesus right there. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees. Stop right there, because we're going to see this word six times in this passage. Woe to you. 
this is not like, oh, I feel sorry for you Pharisees. This is, you are damned. You are damned. That's what he's saying here. Now, we, we hear that word misused a lot in our culture today. So much so that we don't even flinch anymore when we hear somebody say, damn you. When someone says, damn you, they're, they're making the judicial decision, and they're saying, you are to be damned. Here's Jesus, the perfect one, who is saying, not damn you, but you are damned. You are damned. And this is what he's saying, and follow along with me. Woe to you Pharisees, damned are you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. Verse 45 may be one of the dumbest verses in all of Scripture. Now, and here's why I say this before I even read it. Think about this. If you've just seen Jesus pile on to a group of Pharisees, would you invite Jesus to pile on you? The lawyers who think they're really smart, they do this. Verse 45, one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. Go ahead and say it. That's dumb. Is that not dumb? And he said, okay, woe to you, lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed, so you're witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of, the, of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the earth, or world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Is it fair to say that Jesus has taken the gloves off now? He has. Let's pray this morning before we unpack this passage. Holy Spirit, you search and you know our hearts. You know, you know our hypocrisy. You know our propensity to trust in our self-righteousness rather than Christ's perfect righteousness. And so this morning, Spirit, work in our hearts. Convict and correct us, I pray. Bring to bear the words of Luke here this morning in our, in our hearing that, that we might feel the weight of them as much as those Pharisees and those lawyers felt on that day when Jesus addressed those woes to them, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So on the heels of, of Jesus warning the people about spiritual light and, and becoming darkness within them, a Pharisee invites Jesus to lunch. 
We don't know his motive for why he does it. He invites Jesus to lunch. And so Jesus does something that I mentioned to you that, that if we had been there, we'd have been like, tell me he didn't just do that. Jesus goes to this Pharisee's house, and, and, and think about this. As you're going into the Pharisee's house, the important people that the Pharisee knows that are going, maybe his Pharisee friends and maybe, maybe neighbors are coming in, and they are doing the ceremonial washing. Okay, This isn't like COVID washing. Remember at the beginning of COVID, every bathroom you went into had signs everywhere telling you, like, I, I want to know, what happened before COVID? Did people not wash their hands? But all of a sudden, we had to be reminded how to wash our hands. You know, you turn on the water, you get your hand wet, you put soap on it, you scrub, you do that thing, right? For Pharisees, there was a very specific way to wash your hands. Because, see, if, if you washed and started up here and the water ran down on your arm, guess what happened? To a Pharisee, you had just defiled your arm. Because, because the dirty water had run down. So you really had to literally start from the elbow and work your way down. But if you touched this hand without watching it, you touched this hand with the dirty hand, guess what you had just done to the hand you had just cleansed? Well, you defiled it. So literally, to wash in the way that they wanted you to wash, you basically had to put this hand in the water and get it going and get it all going, and then you had to like kind of dry it off somewhere. You couldn't touch it with this hand. You kind of, and you had to kind of go through and do that whole thing there too. And, and then finally, it's like, it's like you're getting ready for surgery. Imagine these Pharisees going to the table with their hands up, ceremonially clean. And into this, Jesus just walks in. These other people are doing this. Jesus bypasses the basin of water and he just lays down at the table. What do Pharisees do when they see that? What do self-righteous people do when they see other people sinning? Well, they get their phones out, right? You are not going to believe what I just saw. Right? And, and so all these Pharisees are freaking out. He didn't wash his hands. He's going to defile the whole table. I'm not eating after him. Can you imagine the, the talk? Jesus doesn't even wait. He sees that they're astonished in verse 38. He sees their astonishment, and in verse 39, he does not even wait. He is going to go on the offensive here. And, and it's interesting to me that in an age of, of time when we are told to be politically correct all the time and we have to act a certain way, as believers, sometimes our conduct should be offensive to the world. Can I just be honest with you? At times, if you are going to be honoring Christ, your behavior will be offensive to the world. Now, I know it's easy to sit here in church on Sunday morning, nod your head yes with that. It's a little bit different when it's Monday and you're out in the world, isn't it? I'm not saying we're going out of our way to offend the world, but, but at times our conduct's going to be offensive. And so what he does is he points out the hypocrisy. And, it, and it's easy to spot. And in verse 39, he says this, you Pharisees, you, you, you are so worried about the outside. 
You, you cleanse the cup, you, you take care of the dish, but you take care of yourself, you cleanse the outside, you make sure you look good, you make sure you have all the right tassels on your robes, you make sure that you have your phylacteries that, had, that held the little, the little box on your forehead and on your wrist that had the, the part of the law in it, you make sure that they're perfectly placed so that everybody can see that you're walking around with God's word. You take care of the outside, but the problem with you is, is that you haven't done one thing on the inside. What he's contrasting here is external cleanliness with internal sin. You see it there? He says inside, verse 39. Inside, you guys, you guys are greedy and you are full of wickedness. All of a sudden, this Pharisee is beginning to regret his choice to bring Jesus to lunch. Because Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. And, and, he, and he calls them exactly what they are. And, and, and if you're sitting in this room this morning and you are trying to fool everybody on the outside with the way that you, are, that you appear and the way that you act and the way that you talk, but you haven't taken care of the inside, you are exactly what Jesus says you are in verse 40, you fools. You fools. And Jesus isn't saying this like, that's just foolish, guys. No, he, he's directly talking to them and he's saying, you are fools if you think that just by cleaning up the outside, you're going to please God. Notice what he says there in verse 40. It's, it's logic, isn't it not? Verse 40, did, he who, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? You're so worried about pleasing God on the outside, and yet, yet you're not doing anything about your heart. And then he gives them a recommendation that you and I might think, well, that's just really strange why Jesus would say it this way. The recommendation, the cure that he gives is in verse 41. Give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. What is Jesus saying there? Well, Jesus is referring to this practice that was very big and important to a Pharisee, and that was the idea that they were supposed to give to the poor. Okay? And that's what alms were. It was giving to the poor. See, Pharisees went about giving to the poor in a totally different way. Okay? I'm going to use Matt Huggins this morning. Matt, you're going to be my poor person. There's a way to give to the poor. You know, you can just walk by somebody and give to the poor just kind of like that, right? Nobody knows you've done it, right? Not even Ellen knows. I just gave Matt a $100 bill, and she's like, give me that to me, right? But a Pharisee would give it this way. Matt, I am so sorry that things have been so tough for you, and life has been so hard for you. Here, let me, how much do you need? Let me write you a check so that everybody in the room sees what you're doing, Right? Why does a Pharisee do that? Does he really care about Matt's need? What's he care about? Look how great I am as a Pharisee. That Pharisee really is a good guy. And in fact, some of the other Pharisees would say, he's very godly. Godly. And what Jesus is saying is here, you want to you be truly clean on the inside? You do the things that you're supposed to do for the right motive. And what he is getting at the heart of here is, is their motive is totally wrong. Their motive is for them to receive the credit. And now he's going to go on the offensive and he's going to indict them in three specific areas where their motive is totally wrong. And it's easy to spot because all three begin with a woe. 
you're damned, basically. Jesus is now going to condemn the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. The first woe is this, that external works-based hypocrites elevate the secondary over the primary. Works-based hypocrites always take the secondary important things and they make them the most important things. Look at, look at the first woe here in verse 42. Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. Here, here's the indictment. Understand this. Pharisees were, were very, and the self-righteous of the day, were very concerned that everybody knew that they tithed of everything. In fact, if they harvested mint, literally a good Pharisee would count the mint leaves, and for every ten, he would give what? He would take off one, and he would say, this is God's pile here. Rue is not something that you and I are familiar with. You're like, what is, what is rue? What, what is that? Is that the stuff that you, you use to make a, you know, a good gravy? No, that's not this kind of rue. This rue is a plant. It grows about two feet tall, and it's got antiseptic properties. It, it was used by everybody. Literally, if you got a bump or a scrape, you went and you got your rue, and you put your rue on it, right? Okay? And so, kind of like what people do with aloe. You know, you, you had rue around, you used rue for lots of different things. The law never required that you had to tithe on rue. But guess what the Pharisees said? Guess what? You need to tithe on your rue. And so whenever they would harvest rue, they literally would, would divide it out. And they would make sure that everybody around them knew that they did it. And they would make sure that, that everybody that was under their care did it as well. Because you want to be a good, God-loving person, right? And so you got to tithe of your mint and your rue. What's the problem with that? Here they are elevating this minor part of the law. And what are they neglecting? Jesus says this, you, you guys are great with your tithing. Good job. Keep tithing, right? Problem is, you've neglected justice and, and you've neglected the love of God. Literally, they have neglected the, the most important parts of the law. After all, hear, O Israel, our God is one Lord, and you shall what? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. Guess what? You tithe well, but you love God. <clears throat> Fail. The second part of that goes what? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, and you shall what? Love your neighbor as yourself. You know what? If you really love your neighbor, you'll be concerned about whenever there's injustices that happen to them, right? Pharisees didn't care. Pharisees absolutely didn't care. They didn't give a rip about that stuff. They neglected the primary commands of the law, but demonstrating in loving others and loving God... And you say, well, I would never do that, Pastor Dan. I guarantee you, there are those of us in this room this, today, right now, who are, who are steeped in self-righteousness. Let me point out a couple of you. The person who comes with the attitude, I show up every time the doors are open. I'm here, but you don't love the people that you gather with. I don't want to talk to anybody. I, I, don't, I don't want to bear anybody's burdens. I just want to show up for church. 
every church has that kind of person. They're the kind of person that lets the pastor know, um, I, noticed you were, I noticed you were gone last week. Where were you? The kind of person that comes and serves in any, every ministry, but doesn't ever pick up their Bible throughout the week to actually take in God's word because they don't love it, but they'll show up for every ministry. Get what I'm saying here, folks? You can, you can say you love God, and you come and you're, you're a part of everything that's going on, but you don't really truly love God if you're not loving him and his word. That's pharisaical. God says in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, a, a, a prophet that they were very familiar with, what does God require of you? To do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And, and these guys said, no, we're, we're more interested in tithing. Our time is fleeting. Second woe, verse 43. The second woe that Jesus pronounces on them is the external works-based hypocrite wants to be noticed in everything that he does. And here, here's the condemnation. Because they're so inflated with pride, when they would show up for their, for their gathering on the Sabbath day, they wanted to sit in the most important seat. The most important seat in the synagogue where the most important people sat was behind the guy who was speaking. Think of an old-time Baptist church where all the deacons sat up on the platform. Why was it that deacons wanted to sit up on the platform? For one thing, they wanted to let the pastor know who really was in charge. You laugh, but it's true. Why did they sit up there? Because they wanted to be noticed. And here, that's exactly what the Pharisees would do. There'd be a guy who would be in charge of the, of the meeting at the synagogue, and the other Pharisees would sit behind him, and whenever he said something good, this is what they would do. Kind of like church nodders. Amen. When he read the Psalms that were contemplative and sad, they would go. If they were a part of our worship gatherings today, whenever we sang Amazing Grace, they'd be like, Amazing Grace. Yes. Except for the fact they don't even understand what grace is all about. And, and they're full of pride. They want to be noticed, which is nothing like what Jesus taught and modeled when he was here on earth. What did Jesus say? Those who will be first will be what? Jesus, when he went to the synagogue, I'm guaranteeing you, he didn't go up front. He probably sat on the outside with everybody else. Why? Because they emphasize the external. The problem with legalists is, and the problem with these religious self-righteous people is, and it's the problem that you and I battle with is this, we always have to be better than somebody. And until you and I come to this understanding that we're better than no one, and apart from God's grace, we all deserve to burn in hell, we're not going to make it. There's not a one of us in this room who is better than the guy who's homeless and on skid row because he can't control his drinking. You want to know what the difference is? God's grace. And all of us have to battle that self-righteousness. What are we called to do? We're called to humbly follow and obey. 
And, and, and I don't know about you, but following and obeying Christ is a full-time job for me. I botch it up so bad so many times. I don't have time to worry about how many other people are botching it up. But self-righteous people seem to find that time. In fact, I think they put it in their calendar. Check up on these people this week. There's a third woe. And this is a serious one, as if the first two aren't. Those who trust in their external works not only fool themselves, but they bring judgment to those who follow them. And this is the danger, and I'm thinking specifically of parents here this morning. Parents who are trying to fool everybody by living self-righteously, and they really truly haven't been transformed themselves, guess what? You are damning your children as well. Notice what he says here about them. Verse 44, you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. What's this, you know, just this week, I had to go to a cemetery, and, and as literally as we were carrying the casket, we stepped over graves. Our culture is not the same as Jewish culture. Under the Jewish law, if you came in contact with a dead body or came in contact with the grave of a dead person, guess what that did to you ceremonially? ceremonially. It defiled you. You were defiled. You had to go through this whole purification process. And if you didn't go through the purification process and you showed up at the temple, guess what you had just done to the temple? You had defiled it because you had come into contact with death. So graves were considered to be ceremonially defiling. That's why in Jewish, in Jewish you know, their practice, they whitewashed the graves. They literally painted them bright white. You had, you had no mistaking where somebody was buried. It was painted white. And you knew that you were not supposed to go near and be in contact with that. And here's what Jesus says. You Pharisees, you're self-righteous ones. You're so, you're so steeped in your self-righteousness that you're like unmarked graves. And the people who are following you, you literally are contaminating them. And that's the thing about self-righteousness and thinking that you and I can please God. It, it contaminates everybody around us. They tithed correctly, they looked and they acted very religious and godly, but inside they were full of death and they were a danger not only to themselves but to others. You see why Jesus is taking this so seriously? You see why Jesus is taking this so seriously? And he doesn't stop there because as I pointed out when we were reading this, the lawyers are absolutely stupid. If you're a lawyer in this room, I'm sorry. Verse 45, it's like basically saying this. That right cross you gave to the Pharisees looked good. Hit us with a left hook, please. And so Jesus lights them up too. Verse 46, woe to you lawyers. You load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Here's the thing about self-righteous people who add to God's, God's word with, with their own rules and regulations. They literally burden them to the point that they cannot keep them, and they themselves don't do anything, even lift a finger to help them. Have you heard the horror stories about people who start attending a church, and, all, and the first thing they show up is like, well, you're going to have to, we're going to have to, to get you a long sleeve shirt to cover your tattoos, and we're gonna have to get you a haircut, and you're gonna have to give up those cigarettes, and you're gonna have to do this, and you're gonna have to do that. No wonder people don't want to go to a church. No wonder they don't want to go. 
Church, may I say this to us in all love? The minute that we think we're better than the person who's unsaved that comes in our midst, we are damned. He says, well, you're, you load these people with burdens that are hard to bear. You know, it's one thing to encourage somebody to grow in Christ. It's another thing to throw a Bible at them and say, hey, read this and start memorizing it without helping them to do it, right? And, and, and here's, this is what they were doing. The lawyers were doing this. We, we have all these good rules, we have these codes of conduct. They're going to help you if you just live by them. But here's the thing. I'm not going to help you to figure it out. I'm just going to point out to you every time you do it wrong. It's kind of like the dad who doesn't take the time to teach his son how to change the oil. But whenever the son tries to do it and he spills it all over the ground, he says to him, you did it totally wrong. Just let me do it. No. No. What's missing in that? Well, I'll tell you what's missing, one word, grace. There's no grace there at all, is there? There's no grace. We've got to move quickly. The second woe to these lawyers is in verse 47 all the way down through, through verse 51. And basically it's this. Religious hypocrites are just as dead and lifeless as the ones who came before them. And, and their, their big problem is, is that they reject Jesus. So, so he says this in verse 47, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. It was a common thing to have these memorials, these shrines. There was like an Isaiah shrine, and there'd be a Jeremiah shrine, and a Zechariah shrine there in Jerusalem to the prophets, these wonderful prophets. Here's the thing. The people who built those shrines are the very same people who, if they had been alive that day, would have been the ones responsible for killing the prophets. They built and they embellished these tombs as a memorial. And they're basically what they're saying is by doing this, we would have never killed these guys. We would have loved them. And yet Jesus says this about them. Catch what he says in verse 49. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against which generation? That generation, and we have to stop and ask ourselves, why was that generation the generation that was charged? Let me point out something to you. Remember earlier in Luke, whenever John the Baptist came on the scene, what did Jesus say about him? You remember what he said about him? He said there was none greater than John the Baptist. You know what he was saying? He's the greatest of all the prophets. And on top of that, Jesus began his ministry, and people all around are like, this guy is amazing, right? So, so these people had seen John the Baptist, they had seen Jesus himself in ministry, and what were they doing to John the Baptist and Jesus? They were rejecting, were they not? They were totally rejecting, and Jesus is saying this, if you reject me and my message, if you reject the kingdom, you are bringing judgment on yourself. What he's saying specifically to these lawyers is this. If you choose your rules over me, you're damned. And it's the same for us today. 
whether it's teenagers who are trying to fool their youth pastor or their parents that they're really something that they're not, whether it's a husband trying to fool his wife and his family that he's something that he's not, whether, whether it's just a, a, this perfect family on the outside, you know, Ozzie and Harriet. Half the room was like, who did he just say? And, and you got this look, and, and you show up for church, and you do all the right things. And yet you're trusting in that to bring you salvation? You're rejecting Jesus for rules. And Jesus is saying you're bringing judgment on yourself. Let me just tell you this. Rules above Jesus never works. I'm not anti-rules, okay? But, but rules above Jesus never works. When, when you say rules are more important than what Jesus says, that never works. And the third woe to them is just as severe as the third woe to the Pharisees. And you find it in verse 52. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. Okay, what is the key of knowledge that Jesus is talking about? He's talking about God's word. He's talking about God's law to them specifically. They, they were the ones who every day got to interact with God's word. They got to read it. They got to copy it. They got to study it. And, and they had all this benefit. They were so close, and yet they were so far. Notice what Jesus says about them. You had the key, and you didn't use it. You had it right there. And you didn't use it. And not only is that bad enough, but then you took the key and you threw it so far away that those who were listening to you couldn't even go and find the key. You see, when we elevate rules and extra biblical codes, we're actually robbing people of exactly what they need. We're robbing them of God's word. Years ago, we had this church covenant here that was basically, you've heard me say this before, but it really was, we had a church covenant that basically said, we don't dance, drink, or chew, or go with the girls who do. That was the sum of the church covenant. We won't smoke, we won't drink, we won't, we won't, we won't, we won't, we won't, we won't, we won't. And years ago, I can remember reading that thing, and one time we were reading it in a meeting, and I'm thinking to myself, there's a big problem here. We haven't said what we will do because we're too busy saying what we won't do. Anybody else been a part of that before? We're, we're too busy saying what we won't do and what we're going to hold everybody else to what they won't do, and we never say what we will do. We never get around to saying we will love one another, we'll pray for one another, we'll care for one another, we'll cry when other people are crying, we'll rejoice when other people are rejoicing, the things that are actually found in God's word. And in doing so, we're just like the lawyers if we adopt that kind of mentality. We don't enter ourselves and we hinder others from entering. You wanna know the quickest way to, to turn somebody away from eternal life? Give them a bunch of rules to follow. Give them a bunch of rules to follow. As you might expect, this wasn't received well. Because here's the thing, most legalists 
when their legalism is pointed out to them, they totally get ticked off. Because you've challenged their way of thinking. And maybe this morning you're that person who's ticked off. That, that's a warning sign if you're ticked off this morning. Because if you're trusting in your rules and your regulations to get you into heaven, you're going to miss. And if you're ticked off about it, you're in deep. Notice how ticked off they are. Verse 53, as he went away from there, can you, I mean, I just picture Jesus in the common vernacular. He says all this stuff, and he just mic drops. And as he goes away, they're following him out. What about this? What about this? Do you see it there in verse 53? They begin to press him hard and provoke him and speak about many things. Well, what about this law? What about this thing? What about this? Why are they doing that? Verse 54. Because they're lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. And if you're waiting for the pastor to say just the wrong thing, you're no different than the Pharisee or the lawyer. If you're waiting for the Sunday school teacher to say just the wrong thing, you're no different than the Pharisee. Let's sum it up this way. Works-based, performance-based religion is dangerous. It will damn your soul to hell. You can't have anything more dangerous than that. It denies Christ and his power. It, it, it denies his power to change you. It says, I don't need you to change me. I can change myself. I can reform myself. And, and God will not be mocked. Not only will it affect you, it will affect those who follow you. It will affect those who follow you. And here's the thing. Many in this room this morning, by your testimonies, you have rejected that. You've rejected self-righteousness to claim the righteousness of Jesus Christ, right? Many of you? But here's the thing. Even those who have rejected self-righteousness, we have a propensity to go back to it. Do we not? I keep the rules better than you do. I'm doing better at this than you do. I can't believe that you do that. Anytime you say that, you know what you're saying? <laughs> Jesus loves me more because I'm a better rule keeper than you. And here's the thing. That's so anti-grace, it's not even funny. That's so anti-grace, it's not even funny. Yeah, sin does bring consequences, and I'm not saying that we, we don't talk about sin, but here's the thing. Jesus died, and he kept the law perfectly so, because he knows I'm not going to. And his righteousness was put to my account. It was put to your account. And to return to that self-righteous, performance-based living is to basically say, I don't need you anymore, Jesus. You are only good for salvation. And I don't think that matches up with the Bible, does it? And so this morning, if that's you, maybe you're the person who is trusting in your own works for salvation. May I beg you this morning, reject that.
run to Christ. Run to Christ. Claim his righteousness. Maybe you're that person who's a believer, though, and you've kind of slipped back into that self-righteousness, righteous thinking. Can I beg you this morning? Run from that, too. Run from that. Embrace the grace of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those in this room that are trusting in their own effort to please you. I pray that they would understand the words of Scripture that are very clear, that, that all of our righteousness amounts to a pile of disgusting, filthy rags. Even at our best, even at our best, we are terrible. And so for those who are trusting in their own righteousness, I pray that today would be the day that they are freed from that bondage to completely trust in, in what Christ has accomplished for them. Lord, for those of us who are in Christ, and, and we, we don't take that lightly, what an amazing thing to be able to say that we're in Christ. For those of us who are in Christ, forgive us of our propensity to, to deny the power of Christ in us to live in our own self-effort and try to produce goodness through our own self-righteousness. Forgive us for judging others who we don't think are performing like we do. May we be a community of believers that truly loves one another, that truly cares for one another, that truly rejects the legalism that would damn our souls to hell, I pray. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. You are dismissed.